All right, Chris, you ready for me back there? All right. Unfortunately, folks, this is a song that's been bouncing through my head all week. Exactly. I, I, I tried to give you a cue, Chris. Come on. Help me out. <laughs> Got it. Going to work? That's okay. I oh, there you Anything could happen. Anything there you could go. happen. Anything could happen. Anything could happen. Anything could happen. Okay, so I want you to hold that thought, all right? Because I'm going to connect the dots with all that here in a minute. So the past couple of weeks, we've been um, kind of discussing the process of how do we um, make ourselves open and available to the things that matter to the heart of God. And two weeks ago, we looked at the story of the calling of a prophet in the Old Testament named Isaiah. And we talked about how how Isaiah was given a vision of the throne room of God. And in the midst of that vision, um, it was extremely humbling experience, and it made Isaiah acutely aware of his sin, which he openly confessed, God cleansed him for, And then God asked Isaiah that famous question, right? He said, whom shall I send? You know, I've got people out here that I care about. I'm looking for someone who will go and represent me. And we talked about how Isaiah wanted to be the answer to God's question. And so in humility, he said, here am I. Send me. And then if you missed last Sunday, I'd really encourage you to go back and listen to the message presented by Tate Williams, who was in the video there. He works for a ministry called Global Orphan Project, but he talked about God's heart for the vulnerable in our world. And he made the the important um, reminder to us that we were all the vulnerable, that we were all orphans, and that God gave us the opportunity to be adopted Uh, to be his sons and daughters through his death and resurrection on the cross, to be sons and daughters of the King of Kings. And Tate's message centered around this passage in 1 John, chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. It says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. In other words, that passage is saying, how can we call ourselves Christians? How can we call ourselves followers of Christ, imitators of God, but not care for the vulnerable in our world, the widow, the orphan, the people right here in our neighborhood and around the world? And Tate made this great statement where he said this, Maybe not all of us are called to adopt kid or be foster parents, but we all ought to be praying about it. And at the very least, if God doesn't call us to do those things, that we would be people that would come around those folks and support them with prayer, with encouragement, with finances, whatever it would take um, to show that we are in it with them. And I hope you guys have been stretched by these recent messages. I hope there's something very deep resonating in your soul that wants to be obedient to God's word, that that wants to kind of be the answer to God's question, whom will I send? And that you would find yourself thinking, I hope you have, 
that I want my life to matter. I want God to use me to, to reach and care for his people. I want to be living a great story. And today we're going to keep rolling with that theme a little bit. Um, I started rereading the Gospel of Luke this past week. And, and in chapter 1, it's probably pretty familiar. There's a couple of birth narratives that are going on there. The, the birth of John the Baptist and the birth of Jesus. And both of their conceptions were miraculous. And both of them involved angels appearing uh, to their parents and giving them some promises that would probably seem pretty unbelievable. And I'm going to be reading out of the old version of NIV, uh, which is not the one you have in your pews. So just listen to me read this morning and recount the, the interaction um, that the angel has with Mary. Okay? This is like Christmas in August this morning. Okay? It says, In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words, wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. So the angel goes to Mary, who at this time is probably around maybe 13, 14 years old. Okay? She's probably taking selfies, putting them on Instagram. You know, just chilling in Nazareth, right? She's this just peasant girl in this insignificant village. Really kind of a nobody in the world's eyes. And this angel shows up and says, hey, you, you are highly favored. And later on it says, God has found favor. You found favor with God. And scripture says that Mary was greatly troubled by this. Greatly troubled by what? I mean, they haven't even gotten to the point yet at that point in the story where they've really kind of revealed this whole crazy plan about birthing the, the mother of, you know, the Savior of the world, of being the mother of the Savior of the world, of being impregnated by the Holy Spirit. So none of that's even been mentioned yet, but it says she's already troubled. What is it that's so troubling for her? She's greatly troubled that God has found favor with her. Now that word there in the Greek, the favored, is used only one other time in Scripture. In Ephesians 1.6, it's used in the context of a free bestowal of grace or a free granting of grace so god in his goodness has favored us favored mary and given us grace that we don't deserve and that's what's so awesome about grace there's a book called you know what's amazing about grace is that a grace eliminates all boasting and all pride because it's completely undeserved and so mary wasn't sitting there you know patting herself on the back thinking yeah i've been pretty good about time he showed up and you know gave me a job you know god chose her because of his grace not because of anything that she had done to that point in her life he found favor with her and like mary we are all highly favored by god those of us that have made a decision to follow him and that new identity that we have kind of like a new set of clothes we put on 
um, can, can leave us a little bit afraid or fearful sometimes at who God says we are. I don't know how many conversations I've had with, with new or young Christians where they've said something along the lines of this. Man, I'm just afraid I'm going to blow it. I'm afraid I'm going to disappoint God. I'm afraid I'm going to go back to that life of sin that I was leading. I'm afraid that I'm not going to be, be able to handle the temptations that I know are going to come. I'm afraid I'm going to let down this new Christian group of friends that I have, and they're going to be disappointed in me. You see, our sin is ever before us, and, and, and we know what turds we can be, right? Man, that's why Isaiah, when he got this vision to the throne room of God, he said, woe is me. He said, I am ruined. He saw his sin so clearly in the presence of a holy God. And later in Luke chapter 1, when, that, when the whole plan is laid out to Mary, she writes this song. We know it as the Magnificat. And in it, she declares this. She says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. You see, she realized, even though she'd been chosen for this unbelievable task, that she needed a Savior, that she was a sinner, that she understood that it wasn't anything that she had done. It was because of God's grace that she was chosen for this amazing task. And guys, any time that God uses us to do anything, we should be really humbled. Because it's not because of something that we brought to the table. It's because God in his grace said, you know what, I'm going to use that person even though I know everything about them. And I know they're going to fail me tomorrow and probably the next day after that. And maybe we need some reminders this morning about what it means to be highly favored by God. When God says, hey, you are highly favored, in Scripture, what are some examples of what that means? So I've just got a few here this morning I want to I rummage through. You can pop those up there. There you go. So to be highly favored by God means this. God says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. God is, is with us constantly. And then in John 14, he says this, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. God, the Trinity, resides in us. If you are highly favored, it also means, as, as Brent shared earlier, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is nothing that we can do in Romans 8, it says later, that will separate us from the love of God. It means, Romans 8.31, that if God is for us, who can be against us? It means, Romans 8.38, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It means, John 14.12, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these. So to be highly favored by God means that all of these things are true about us. And, and who God is to us, that he is for us, that he is in us, that we can do all things through him, that we are more than conquerors, that if he's for us, who could be against us, that we will do even greater things than he has done. And guys, I'm just scratching the surface. I could go on and on with scriptures that tell us what it means to be highly favored by God. But my question is this, have we embraced that reality? Have we embraced that reality, that identity, highly favored? by God. Every morning and every day as we wake up, we need to remind ourselves, reorient ourselves to what is true about us, that God is for us. And if he's for us, who could be against us, that we are favored children of the King of Kings. And I love Mary's response to this unbelievable news. In verse 34, she says, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. How will this be, you know, since I'm a virgin and whatnot? 
And it's not that she's saying that she's not, she's not doubting that it will happen. She's just saying, all right, God, how are you going to do this? I mean, isn't that an amazing perspective? She's just like, yeah, this plan's kind of crazy, but all right, let's go with it. How are you going to do it? And the angel replies to her, and he says this in verse 35. He says, ah, you know, Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. That about sums it up. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Now, that's the answer to everything that God calls us to, is that same power that rose Christ from the dead is living inside of us and has the ability to do whatever it is that God wants us to do in life, whatever crazy dreams he might call us to. We have more than we need to get it done. And then God gives her this very personal reminder in in verse 36. The angel says this. He says, even Elizabeth, your relative, that was John the Baptist's mother, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. And God speaks to Mary and he says, listen, the impossible is already happening all around you. Your relative Elizabeth, who is old and hasn't had any kids and they thought couldn't, she's going to have a kid. Okay? So, so it's happening all around you. It's, it's not outside of the realm of possible. And Mary is a good Jewish girl. She would have remembered that the whole nation of Israel began with a crazy birth story, right? She would have thought all the way back to Abraham, who was given this promise by God that you'll be a father of, of, of a great nation and your descendants will outnumber the stars in the sky. And he's thinking, I'm 100, my wife's 90, we got no kids. How's that going to happen? And God said, I'll be back in a year. And your wife is going to have a son. And sure enough, Isaac is born, right? And so this is just continuing God's story again and again of the impossible being made possible because of his grace and his power. And when God calls us to do something that seems impossible, especially when we look at ourselves and we think, man, I am broken and flawed and faithless, he points us to others who are living proof that anything can happen to encourage us. And he says, guys, listen, this is not my first rodeo. I can do this. I've done it before. I'm going to show you some people that I'm doing it for right now. When we were thinking about starting this church eight years ago, I met with other church planters and I said, hey guys, tell me your stories of how when you were doing your church, God showed up in amazing ways and and provided for you. And as I listened to those stories, man, I was just so encouraged because I was like, okay, God's done this before. He can do it here too. You know, as Sam mentioned in her video, when we were thinking about getting this house, we took her down to Kansas City to Tate's church, who was doing something very similar. There's some young women that moved into a home. They were signed up to be foster parents, and they were getting it all ready. And Sam, we just sat there with her, and I'm like, oh, man, yeah, this is encouraging, isn't it? We can do this. God's doing it already all around us, for nothing is impossible with God. I love how some of the Old Testament writers describe the same truth in a couple of different passages Um, They said this in Psalm 115.3, it says, our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. Jeremiah 32 says, ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Nothing's too hard for you. He can even make the royals win, right? I mean, what a great God we have, right? Somehow we score runs even though like one person's hitting 300, right? 
But guys, do we live our life believing that is true? Do we live our life believing that nothing is impossible with God? Or do we, are we quick to dismiss these dreams and visions and big ideas that God might put on our hearts because they don't make sense? Or because we're too afraid to try and fail or trust God enough to take a leap with him? Nothing is impossible with God, but let me add this little caveat here. As long as it's according to his will. So I don't want you to think that you can just walk out of here today, right? Go take all your money down to the boat and be like, hey, nothing's impossible with God, right? So I can be a millionaire when I walk out of here today, right? If God's for me, who can be against me, right? Even a casino, right? You see, there's, there's a, a very important thing that we have to look at is what the angel means here is that when God wants to do something, something according to his plan, his will, his heart for people, nothing will stop him. And the cool thing in that is that he wants to use you and I to carry these things out. He wants us to be a part of the blessing. And part of it, I think, is because, too, he wants the world to see what he can do through a bunch of broken idiots like you and me, right? You say, I could do that even through that person, right? Look at how powerful I am. So the question we must ask is this, guys, and this is what I want you to really hang on to here, is this. What do we know God is for? So that when we move in those directions, we can anticipate that we will find favor. Okay? Let me say that again. What do we know God is for? So that when we move in the direction towards those things, we will anticipate that we will find favor with God, that he will show us favor in those things. That's what we've got to figure out is what is God for? Because if he's for something, he's going to make it happen, and he's going to meet us on the way. So just some things off the top of my head that I know God is for. I know God is for marriage. To him, he describes it as a covenant relationship, a binding relationship. And so when two people are willing to come, even though it's been hard, people have been hurt, and there's some things that need to happen there. When two people are willing to come and say, God, man, in humility, we're going to make this work. We're hurt or whatever. God is going to meet you there. Okay? Obviously, I know it takes two to tango. All right? But if you've got two hearts that are, are willing and repentant and ready to go, he's going to do it. He's going to redeem it. Okay? We know that God is for unity and peace amongst his people. So we have to believe that he is going to restore broken relationships no matter how bad they've gotten if two people are willing to come to the table on that. We know that God is for widows and orphans, or as Tate defined them, people that don't have champions in our world. And so when his people start moving towards the vulnerable, God will provide the finances, the energy, the patience, the room in your house, whatever it is you need to do what it is that he wants to do. We know that God is for building his church. So where there are willing hearts, where is there, there is a person who says, I feel a call to be a pastor, he will provide for that person to, to put them in a church that needs to be reborn, to, to, to help continue work that's already going on, or to start a new work to bring life to his people. So the question I have for you is, what is it in us that short-circuits our perspective on God's ability to do the seemingly impossible? What is it in us that short-circuits our perspective on God's ability to do the seemingly impossible? 
What do you think? Fear. Fear? Definitely. Yeah. Lack of faith. What else? Love. What's that? Love. A lack, maybe, yeah, maybe a lack of love. Yeah. Self-centeredness. Yeah. Good, man. I, I, I have a list. <laughs> Desire for control. Because maybe the, what God wants to do is different than what we thought was going to happen. A scarcity mentality. And what I mean by that is, is we look around and we think, well, how can God do that? There's just there's not enough. There's not enough people. There's not enough money. I don't have enough energy. It's all about scarcity instead of abundance. <laughs> Other Christians can squelch the spirit too. When I um, was in the process of, of starting this church, I went to my boss at the time. I was working for Young Life, and I said, I said hey, this is going to be my last year. I think God's calling me to start this church in St. Joe. And you know what he said to me? He said, I don't think you're cut out for that. Right? Man, that guy missed an opportunity, didn't he? That guy missed an opportunity to come alongside me, no matter what he thought my limitations might be or whatever, and say, man, that's awesome. God can do anything. Man, how can I help you? follow that dream that God has placed on your heart. And now, you know what? Eight years later, he probably can't celebrate at the same level of the people who said, yeah, man, I think, I think God can do that. Don't be that person that allows your own fear to squelch somebody else's dream that God has put on their heart. Don't be that person. Not that you shouldn't ask good questions, but check your motives in that. Let's finish with Mary's response this morning. So it's all been laid out. He reminds her, hey, I'm doing impossible things all around you already. And Mary says in verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. I am the Lord's servant. The Greek word there is the word doulos, which means a bond servant or a slave. It's somebody who willingly says, I'm putting myself underneath your, your leadership. I'm, I'm a willing servant to you. And so do we see ourselves as servants of God? Or do we see him as a servant to us? God, do this for me. Give me this. I need this. Or do we say to him, God, what do you want me to do? I am yours. I'm going to go where you lead me. And guys, I want you to think about this. Mary said okay to this plan in a culture where the death penalty was what they did for adultery, which is what this would have looked like, being pregnant out of wedlock. She said okay to that, knowing what was at stake. There can be a high price sometimes in saying yes to God, but, but God provided for her and Joseph because it was his plan. And God will do the same thing for us. And so this morning, guys, this is what I want to leave you with. I want to ask you as we head into this new school year, what are your expectations for what God is going to do in your life, your personal life, in the life of our church? Do you have expectations for God to work and move and to use you to do it? Or are you just kind of in survival mode, kind of business as usual, 
Are you only striking out in ventures that we can already accomplish in our own strength? Or are we willing to follow God in the deeper places that require us to be really dependent on him? To pray, to be humble, because they're scary and stretching for us. Are we seeking him? Are we asking him? Are we open to him truly to say, God, what is it you want to do? Not because of how amazing I am, but because of I know what you want to do. You want to reach your people. In this season of my life, what is it you have for me? Some of you might be asking, well, I don't know what he wants to do with me. That I would say, start doing what you know his will is. Start doing what you know his will is. About a month ago, Justin gave a message on 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18, and it said this, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. He doesn't say, you know, go be a missionary or go be a teacher or go move into the neighborhood or whatever. He says, my will for you is that you would rejoice, that you would pray, that you would give thanks. And guess what? When you do those things regularly, it it puts your heart in a place where God can use you. And then he will meet you there. And he will give you dreams and visions and ideas that will be about caring for his people in this world because that's what he wants to do. And remember, it's not about your perceived qualifications. It's about his grace. It's about his power working through you. And our job is to believe, to trust, and in our hearts to say, like Mary, may it be to me as you have said. It also might not hurt to to get a tattoo that says, for nothing is impossible with God like I did this past week. Just kidding. But, you know, just saying. It might not hurt. This morning as we come to the table... See, I started with anything can happen, and I ended with a tattoo, all right? I bookend that baby with some excitement, right? Waking you up this morning. When we come to the communion table this morning, I guess what I want you to be thinking about is, is me, and you probably already have as you've been sitting here, is what is it right now in your life that seems impossible? Maybe there's a dream or a vision that God has put on your heart that you've just kind of been tamping down, putting off. Maybe there's a relationship that you're in right now that is severed and broken. I had a situation this week that seemed impossible. (laughs) And I prayed for God to turn that thing around. And it was pretty exciting to watch. And I walked out and I'm thinking, I'm talking about that this week. And so that was pretty fun to see happen. It actually worked. Go figure. God can meet us there if it's according to the things that he wants to do. And so part of that is checking our motives and really asking God, okay, God, why do I want that to happen? Or what is it in me that uh, maybe of self-seeking in that that I need to repent of so that I really am making sure that I'm in line with God's heart? I'm going to give you some time of silence and then we'll dismiss you to come up and and take communion, tear off the bread, dip it in the cup. We also have gluten-free crackers over here too if that's an issue with you. Um, So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. for the truths that we just find in your word. Lord, that we serve a king who can do anything that he wants. 
according to his will and his plan and his desires. And God, he chooses to want to do those things through us so that we might share in his blessings, that we might be an encouragement to others to take risks, to step out. God, nothing is impossible for you. And that can be troubling to, to, to understand and, and believe that we are highly favored by you, that you are so for us. God, give us courage. God, help us sort through our, um, our motives and our intentions to make sure that they're right and true. We're doing things for the right reasons. God, just burn up the, the impurities in our hearts. Make us people that are open and ready, available and willing to follow you wherever you might lead us. God, speak to us as we just come silent before you right now.